Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, District and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, half of the Fire and Water podcast, and we are here because we are part of a very special podcast crossover event running this week and next, and maybe the week after. Um, It is a tribute to the late, great Murphy Anderson. As everyone saw a couple of weeks ago, Murphy Anderson passed away at the age of 89, having uh, an extraordinary career in comics, worked with so many publishers over his many decades, and uh, in the 60s and 70s especially, was sort of the, basically, house style for DC Comics. You saw any drawing of Superman on any sort of licensing around that time, it was most likely drawn by Murphy Anderson, and like I said, he just had an extraordinary career, and we thought it would be fun to pay tribute to him across the various podcasts. Uh, we, uh, Shag and I agreed we wanted to be part of this, and so we decided, uh, since we covered so much of Mr. Anderson's work on the Who's Who show, we thought it would be kind of fun to do a kind of greatest hits, profiling some of Mr. Anderson's work on the series. I mean, he drew listings for the Who's Who series uh, from the first issue, I think all the way through the last. He did dozens and dozens of entries, some as penciler and anchor, some as just anchor. For this episode, we're concentrating on the ones that he uh, did both on penciling and inking. So what you're about to hear is some of our favorite selections from uh, those listings that Murphy was involved in. It's not necessarily our f- the ones that we think are the best drawn ones, and so there are sometimes that we're even a little critical of the artwork, but we think this presents a good cross-section of just how far-reaching Murphy Anderson's work was at DC, how many different kinds of genres and characters that he tackled. So, uh, Go ahead, take a listen to these selections, and then join us at the end, and we'll talk a little further about the podcast crossover. Uh, Next up is Captain Comet, drawn by Murphy Anderson. Uh, Captain Comet is one of those characters that sort of straddles the Golden Age and the Silver Age, in that he appeared before uh, the Earth-1 Flash did, which is, of course, showcase number four, which is sort of the unofficial, I guess almost official, acknowledgement of the beginning of the Silver Age, yet he's not considered a Golden Age character. So he's one of these weird sort of, you know, he's thought of as Silver Age, and yet he precedes it by a certain amount. Um, First appeared in Street Adventures number nine. Obviously, he was a fan favorite of Mark Wade's and Alex Ross because he figures fairly large into Kingdom Come despite mm. most mm-hmm. people really not knowing who he is. He really was never that big of a character. He really, he had his own feature in Strange Adventures for a long time, but I think pretty much after the 60s, uh, he pretty much just disappeared for the most part. Well, he had, a, he had a renaissance in the 90s. He was a member of uh, Legion, and I don't mean Legion of Superheroes, the L period, E period, G period, I period, O period, N period book. Oh, I didn't know that either. Okay. Yeah, he was cool. he's a cool-looking character. I mean, he's very much a space-age, you know, yeah. guy. Um, that was back in an era where they weren't creating a lot of new superheroes, so he was sort of this mix of, kind of like an Adam Strange type, who was sort of superhero-ish, but really more of a sci-fi concept. But it's, it's a nice drawing by um, Murphy Anderson. I said, I think Murphy Anderson is sort of better when he inks himself or pencils or something. It's, it's a nice drawing. You see him flying there, and then you see his close-up of his face, and he's standing there with his, uh, with 
in front of the city, and then he's in like a rocket ship. It's a, it's a nice piece. I love it. I think it's a great piece. I love his yeah the, the detail work on his face, like especially from the flying portion of it. I mean, his costume is very Silver Age hokey, which is fine, and it looks cool. It looks great. It's actually a nice combination of color usage of red, white, and blue. Um, it, one of the things like th- I never connected with this character though. Like I, I never found a series where I really felt like I was getting him. Um, not that I had a problem with it, just I, it was like that was really my problem mm-hmm. more so than theirs. Um, his tagline was kind of always he was a he was born a mutant a th- hundred thousand yes. years before his time. That yes. was the thing. Like he's supposed to be what human beings would be a hundred thousand years in the future. That was kind of his shtick. Yep. So neat, yes. neat space age character. Early mutant. Early yep. long before Professor X. Next is Dollman with a really creepy cat um, sticking his face into the drawing. Um, I always found it very distracting when they added like the background element but put it in color. Because it doesn't, it does, it doesn't uh, make Dom Man look terribly imposing that he's about to be attacked by a kitty cat. So, but it gives you a perspective of size. Do, well, but I'm saying you could have done the cat in the color hold without making him full color. Uh, I don't know that you would have realized the, the, the relationship. Let's not argue so. about Dom Man. Um, <laughs> it's really not worth no, the effort. No, it's not. This is pr- and this is probably the, this is drawn by Murphy Anderson. Um, this is probably the only listing I can think of where there's a dedication. Right on the yep. thing. And it's dedicated with uh, greatest admiration to Lou Fine. Murphy Anderson. Lou Fine, of course, created Doll Man. So it's kind of interesting. I think it's interesting that they let Murphy Anderson sort of like send a little message, text message to Lou Fine, who I think was not around anymore at that point. So uh, I would assume that's why. I thought it was a nice time. Yeah, it's, not, it just, it's, it's interesting. You know, it just, it just sort of breaks the fourth wall a little bit of like. Oh, hey, there's this other message that one artist is sending to another on the page of this comic book. Well, I don't know that there were a lot of um, artists that were gone from the world at this point. Like, I mean, I guess Siegel and Schuster, sure. But, like, you mean gone from I the don't, world? Well, like, you know, Kirby was still around. Well, Siegel and, and Schuster were still around. Oh, were they? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Swan was still around. I mean, all these famous guys that, you know, established these characters were still around. So, when you get to Lou Fine, he's one of the few ones that wasn't anymore. Yeah, okay. So, um, a couple of interesting things about this character. I, I, he, as you read through his origin, he was part of the Freedom Fighters, and then later on the All-Star right. Squadron. He was not an original, originally a DC character. Correct. But he goes from, I wrote this down, because it was a pattern, and I was trying to unlock the Da Vinci Code with it. But he goes, Earth 2, Earth X, Earth 2, Earth X, Earth 2, Earth X, Earth 1, Earth X. He literally, the story goes, explains how he goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between these worlds. It's like, it's making my head spin. And then the only other thing I thought was worth mentioning is, apparently, somewhere along the lines, he developed psionic blasts, which is just the biggest WTF moment <laughs> for me. This is like, what? Was that just one of those like George Reeves moments where they just add a power for no reason because it worked in the story and everyone forgets about it afterwards? It's like, what? <laughs> so, I found that bizarre. Uh, next up is Hawkman, of course. Gar- Golden Age Woo! Hawkman, drawn by Murphy Anderson, as Shag just said. The one thing I can't stand about Murphy Anderson, those little pointed toes on the boots. I just, I think bug, they bug me. Um, we see a close-up in the surprint. We see a close-up of Carter Hall without his mask. And then we see him in all his different mask iterations. There's the one where it looks very hawk-like. And then there's the more traditional superhero mask, which is the one he's wearing in the main image. And then there was that sort of weird hybrid one, which was like a golden thing, which he had on in the uh, 70s, which I don't think lasted too terribly long. And uh, we see him decking somebody. I think he's... Uh, it looks like... 
the monocle, monocle, because you see the monocle flying off the guy's face. And then there's a nice picture of him and Shara hugging, which is very sweet. So, having a tender moment. Having a tender moment, which is very nice. Yeah, looks like they're about a neck and make and make Hector. See, now you made now, it dirty. I made it dirty. I did that. Yeah, that's me. So, you see his occupation. Millionaire. <laughs> weapons, well, also, research scientist, weapons collector, archaeologist. Busy guy. True, true that. Now, it's interesting. A lot of the text from the Hawkman and Hawk Girl entries, they just literally repeated it. Which is why maybe the the nth the ninth metal nth metal mistake reappears here too right. is because literally I think they just copy paste change you know hawk girl to hawk man so a lot of the entry does a lot of that entry does that right 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 I mean, now let's talk about the masks I think Carter got crapped on with masks not because people didn't like his masks but they wanted to distinguish him from the Silver Age Hawkman right so like. I, I don't mind the mask from the 70s. I kind of like it, actually. It's all, and I think Golden Eagle kind of uses a mask more like that one, too. Yes, he does. But I think the, the mask he ended up with, which was just like a luchador mask, is crap. Okay. I really do. I, I, think, it, I think it's completely unfair that Hawkman is just wearing a luchador mask. That's all it is. It looks like, it looks like crap. It's always bothered me, and I think the only reason he ever had to wear that is because of Cartier Hall. So, I'm, I, I guess I've always been a little more fan of the Golden Age character of Hawkman than the Silver Age, so I just, I'm kind of ticked that he got the shaft. I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, if you go to Wikipedia, you can look up Nth Metal. Nth Metal is a fictional metal in the DC Comics universe. Right. So there you go. We know, we know that. Right. So what are you confused about this Ninth Metal thing? It's a mistake. Well, I was wondering, I was wondering if perhaps that Ninth Metal was what it was originally called in the, in the 1940s or something. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't believe And then maybe they changed it down the line. But I think I think we've I think we're just going to get to the idea that this is a misprint. Hey. You know who could tell us? Luke? Do we do we bear invoke the name? <laughs> Shazam! Luke? Oh, sorry, Luke Giaconetti. We need answers, sir. If you don't know, Luke Giaconetti runs a Hawkman blog, which is beingcarterhall.blogspot.com. Or how about Doug Wizzywig? How do you say his last name? Zawiza. That's him too. Who wrote the Hawkman Companion, which Rob talked about earlier. Either one of those people could tell us this. All right, guys. Why aren't they answering us? Guys, get on it. Uh, right, that, that last thing, yes. Hawkman logo, weak. Yeah, not, not great. Not great. Uh, next up is Kanjar Row by Murphy Anderson. And the, the, the main character picture of Kanjar Row is fine, I suppose. I mean, he looks like Kanjar Row did in, in the 60s. That's fine. Ta-da! But, <laughs> it's totally doing a ta-da moment. But what really jumps out at me is in the surprint, there's this great profile it shot. It's great. His, bu- his bug face really comes across there. Yeah, and his nose and stuff. I mean, yeah. like, that shows you that, yes, he's an alien and he doesn't look like a normal dude. I mean, it's a, it's really good. I yeah. really, really like it. I wish that the main drawing, he had, had that profile in the main drawing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and that goes again to where, you know, in, in Who you get the, the full body shot and then you get a close up of the face. So, uh, now Murphy Anderson, I was thinking, you know, why didn't, no, I, is, I didn't know if Mike Sadowski was even around at this point. I didn't think about the fact that he hadn't done any Who's Who at this point. He was, um, he absolutely was. Okay. Now maybe, maybe he has done a Who's Who and I've forgotten, but either way, I thought it was kind of odd to use Murphy Anderson until I went back and read, oh, he drew a lot of the Justice League covers back then. Yes, he did. 
So he and he also drew the first appearance cover of uh, King Row. So, and I didn't realize until I read this that the the battles between Ran and Thanagar goes far back to here, or actually even earlier, because uh, it's referenced in here how King Row would manipulate things so there would be battles between Ran and Thanagar. Actually, I guess I learned some of that in a previous episode where we did Hyathus, but I hate that character so much I didn't really pay much attention to her entry. So, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, anything further? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it's a classic major JLA villain, which a lot of people have tried to do justice by in recent years and, and make him a little more palatable, if you will. So, uh, Next up is the most boring logo of the book, Manhawks. Um, <laughs> here's, here's an interesting thing about Manhawks. Until I read this entry last night. It's a bird wearing a mask. Until I read this entry last night, I really despised these guys because they look idiotic. They look like a, like a giant falcon with a human head. It just looks stupid. And then I read this, and here's the cool thing. Once you read it, it actually says they uh, – let's see if I can find the actual text here. Um, and it doesn't really – okay. When robbing inhabited worlds, the manha- manhawks wear masks over their heads – the masks are designed to resemble the faces of the dominant life form of the planet they are robbing. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of work. So, well, it just it put these characters in an entirely different context for me where suddenly they're cool. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's all it took was for me to go, oh, that's why. Okay. I love these characters now. Now, they go all the way back to Brave the Bull number 43. So this is a while back. This drawing is by Murphy Anderson, by the way. And if you can get past the ridiculousness of a hawk with a human face, then you can totally get on board with this artwork. Because you see him in the background fighting Silver Age Hawkman. You see him fighting Adam Strange. Good stuff. Uh, they can shoot blasts out of their eyes. They can also, like, dimensionally displace stuff. How do they put those masks on? Don't ask. Okay. Just, just do. Just don't, right. don't ask. Right. Don't ask, don't tell. And uh, there's, a, there's a weird chunk in here. There's a good couple of paragraphs that I'm pretty sure some nutso Bronze Age retconning just for the sake of some one-off story where it talks about the lizard cons or something like that. It just really <laughs> felt lizard like Lizard con, it, 94. Right. <laughs> I was there, dude. Gorn! <laughs> but it just it feels a bit forced and unnecessary, so I just kind of like, I wish I could take a broom and just sweep those letters off that page. <laughs> anyway, uh, Hawk, Hawkman, Adam Strange, freaking sweet. Now, it talks in here, I didn't, I didn't know this about Silver Age Hawkman, that the Manhawks attacked Thanagar. So, uh, Carter Hall led a group of people to go fight them, right? They scare them off, and this apparently inspired other Thanagarians to commit crimes, which apparently had never happened before. And therefore, they had to form the police force. So I didn't realize Carter Hall played an integral role in creating the Thanagarian police force. No, I, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yep, I don't know that I wanted to. But anyway, Murphy Anderson, nice drawing. I'm, I'm all about the Manhawks now. Manhawks rock. Next up is Quicksilver, another character DC bought from somebody else. This is a, uh, one of the quality, con- quality characters, first appearances in National Comics number five. His alter ego is unknown. Whoever wrote the uh, listing here really likes Quicksilver. Uh, he really <laughs> liked him because he ends it with, This laughing Robin Hood, as he was called, battled crime for nine years, then vanished as mysteriously as he had come. Perhaps he resumed his true identity and retired. He seemed to have ample financial resources. It is hoped this was the case and that Quicksilver did not die in action. 
So they're like really rooting for this guy. They really like whoever wrote this really liked Quicksilver. Did Mark Wade help write this issue? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, the art, the art's by Murphy Anderson. Uh, it's really good. It's very nice. I mean, it gets across. He's you know one of the super speedster guys. Uh, it's one of the rare portraits. Uh, well, one of the rare drawings where the character is seen entirely in in side view. No, oh, that's interesting. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it makes sense for a speedster. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is another character who huge, huge in post crisis. Um, right, he's going to be going to part of the Speed Force. Yes, he's Max Mercury, uh, who they, they, I guess there were, I don't, I, I don't see any evidences online right now because I'm looking really quick while we're recording, but they, they basically, they, they amalgamated, I want to say one or two different speedsters into one guy, into Quicksilver, and, uh, if I remember right. Anyway, it became Max Mercury, and Quicksilver had been one of his identities. Anyway, and yeah, he, he was the Zen master of the Speed Force. You know, Ma- Mark Wade made him a huge tentpole in the Flash legacy, and uh, it's really great. Now, I will say, I think it's very strange, but I'm excited about the fact that Marvel has decided to put him in both uh, the new X-Men movie and the Avengers <laughs> That is movie, very but. exciting. I saw him, I saw him in uh, that scene in Captain America Winter Soldier, so it's all very exciting. I, I saw him eating a burger and, and something. So. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Commercial his- TV. His base of operations, Secret Hideout in Oakwood Park. Yeah, yeah. They talk about how, like, he's got all this money. Yeah, it's just, it's a fun entry. Yeah. So. They really said that whoever wrote this is really pulling for him. We see him in the Serpent beating up three guys simultaneously. Yep. And then taking on some bad guy who's, like, some pudgy bee-looking guy. I, I, and it looks like he's kneeing <laughs> him in the crotch. I don't know what that's about. Well, they do mention also, by the way, he starts off really, really fast and gets, and as his adventures went on, he got slower. Um, and they do bring in, also they mentioned his, his, he has a, I don't know if it's a sidekick or a friend or whatever, a Native American guy. And all of this ties in really well with what Mark Wade did later. Mark Wade talked about how his speed would fluctuate, talked about how he would run really fast and break the time, you know, and travel through time. He, he had Native American origins, so it all ties really well. Yeah, very nice. Uh, Solomon Grande, art by Murphy Anderson, one of the better pieces in the book, I would say. It looks like a what? Joke. What? You go ahead and do it. I think this is one of the better pieces in the book. I really like the artwork. Uh, I think it looks like a children's book, and which I think is appropriate for this character because he's born out of a nursery rhyme. Uh, he was first appeared in All American Comics number sixty-one, so he dates back all the way back into the forties. Um, I love this little bit of his history because it talks about that he's basically just a bunch of crap in a swamp that came alive. <laughs> And so, anyway, it mentions uh, one day he on one Monday night in 1944, the strange creature emerged from the bog and slaughter swamp. He confronted two escaped criminals and took their clothes. The next day, the creature came upon a hobo camp where he met a criminal gang. When asked his name, the creature replied that he had none, but he'd been born on Monday. One criminal remarked he was like the nursery rhyme character Solomon Grundy, who was born on a Monday. The creature adopted this as his own. But was uh, seeing his superhuman nature, the criminals made Grundy their leader <laughs> and embarked on a series of robberies in Gotham City. Yes, that is what you would do if you met a giant seven-foot uh, zombie with a, a loose uh, ability to speak English. Is you make him the leader of your gang. That makes total right. sense. Well, you mentioned he's a, he's a bunch of crap coming out of life. Well, I mean, but at the, at the core, the basis is Cyrus Gold, I mean, who was murdered and thrown in Slaughter Swamp. So, I mean, he's, he's still mostly a man. This is before they made him, like, an earth elemental kind of stuff. 
he's still mainly a man who was, you know, turned into swampy crap. Well, but I mean, it was a skeleton, though, and it said it's, sure, sure. you know, okay. so it wasn't like it was a body that was left. It was a skeleton that started collecting leaves and other debris, and he yeah. eventually just sort of came alive. See, I always find him kind of creepy. He's 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 worthy of a laugh on challenge of the super friends because of his the way he talks Solomon Grande always speaks of himself in third person like hammer and stuff so um, but he, also, he also sounds like he's from Louisiana on that cartoon which yeah, I love yeah Solomon Grande <laughs> get some Cajun chicken <laughs> show me your boobs so uh, you know I mean it was, <laughs> I, but I always like this guy I always thought he had a creepy element just because he was like a zombie you know he's like a, yeah. he's essentially a zombie so and he's just Big and strong and stupid and can just punch people and stuff. Although it does mention here at the end, Solomon Grundy can absorb certain forms of energy, what? such as magical energy, and manipulate the absorbed energy at will. Radioactivity once gave him telekinetic powers for a brief time. Because, yes, Solomon Grundy, I'm sure, would know what to do with telekinetic powers. Oh, the Silver Age. Or the Golden Age. Oh. I, um, I love the character. Love uh, almost every incarnation of the character, actually. And there's been a lot of different ones. I mean, you've got, like, you know... The one in Starman, where he actually was a friend of the Starman and stuff like that. I mean, there's been a lot of different versions of Solomon Grundy, even the intelligent ones. And um, I'm just not a huge fan of this piece, though, because I don't like his face. Um, I like the log. I kind of like his body a little bit. His legs look a little weird. But the face really just kind of throws it all off for me. So, but I do, you know, one of the things I like about this character is his origin changes frequently. I mean, they, they had one version, and according to Starman, is every time he died, he came back different, which I thought was clever. That way you can explain so many different versions of Solomon Grundy. Mm-hmm. At another point, they said he was actually a failed Earth elemental, which was nice. So, but if you want more for Earth Two Chris, I mean, you want more of uh, Solomon Grundy. Earth Two Chris actually runs a Twitter feed where he just posts statements in Solomon Grundy's speak, like Challenge of the Super Friends. It's great. Oh man, I'd out. follow that if they had that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I love in the Serpent, he's just hitting Jade in the face with a giant stick. I seem to recall later on, though, he like had the hots for Jade and was a supporting character in Infinity Inc. following, you know, puppy dogging her around, if I remember right. It doesn't mention that here. It only mentions he extends his hatred for Green Lantern to his children. It doesn't get into Right, but it, but it may have been just like right after this. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. Up next, Uncle Sam by Murphy Anderson. And it's a very old school sort of drawing. It is exactly as you would expect. Uncle Sam, you know, from the United States post office uh-huh. you know the, the posters you know you know so he's he's jumping Sam yes he uh leaping down and you see in the background like uh he's fighting somebody on a plane then he's carrying the american flag and punching out a ratsy i think and he's leading the slash uh freedom fighter slash all-star squadron running at you and his logo is very uh, uh what have patriotic so and he is the embodiment of the American spirit. He is the embodiment of the American spirit, fused with the body of a guy named Samuel, conveniently. And uh, and then in one in two paragraphs, they mention Earth X six times. <laughs> I counted. Just saying. <laughs> so it's a great character, you know. Like as a kid, I couldn't like I couldn't get on board with Uncle Sam being in a comic. I just thought it was ludicrous. I was like, this is stupid. You know, he's not a comic. He's not a comic book superhero. He's just an idea for, you know, a, an army recruitment effort. You know, come on. And then as I got older and read some Freedom Fighters, I was like, I'm kind of on board with the character now. I, I, I kind of dig him. He was not a, he's not a DC character creation. He was purchased from Quality Comics because uh, he first appeared in National Comics number one. That was a quality series. So he's a purchase. And then uh, later on, DC allowed him to be the subject of a two-issue 
sort of uh, prestige format series uh, drawn by Alex Ross. Oh, yeah. Was, that was more about the changing of American society. Yeah, though. I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a social... Book, right? Huh? Vertigo book, right? I don't remember it being Vertigo. I don't. I could be wrong, but uh, but uh, yeah, it was, I I remember enjoying that series. Um, I, I think a lot of it does depend on your sort of political viewpoint, whether you get more out of it than, than others. But because uh, Alex Ross's political viewpoint is, he fairly well wears that on his sleeve. Uh, but I th- I remember just thinking I thought it was gutsy that DC even allowed it to be published because mm-hmm. they were taking one of their characters, admittedly one of their minor characters, and sort of bringing him through this stuff that some people could probably find relatively touchy. So I thought it was pretty gutsy. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about him. I remember I liked him in the Freedom Fighters when that when they had their own book and stuff. So uh, he's probably the only character that has those little garter booty things over his shoes. <laughs> That's why he's famous, folks. And that was our look back at some of the work uh, by Murphy Anderson in Who's Who. We hope you all enjoyed it. We, as you can listen from hearing of those old uh, <laughs> those old uh, recordings. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about it. We love the Who's Who show, and uh, it was always great to talk about Murphy Anderson's work. Like I said, it wasn't always my favorite, but uh, the man has had an extraordinary career and produced some superb work, not just for Who's Who, of course, but across all sorts of DC and other series. But uh, there was a lot of really great stuff in Who's Who, and we were really happy to give the chance to present it to you again in this kind of different context. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there are a lot of other podcasts involved. Just some of them that will be featuring Murphy Anderson-specific episodes are the Flowers and Fishnets podcast, Professor Allen's comic book reading journal, Headspeaks, Task Force X, and Comic Book Time Machine. Uh, we will have links to all these in the show notes, so you can keep track uh, of one of their shows, and I think there's going to be other ones as we go on. So take a listen to these shows, and um, you can hear more, some more talk about the great Murphy Anderson. So. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed this. If you want to, as always, send us an email. It's firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. If you want to talk about this show or any of the other shows uh, on the, the uh, Twitter sphere or Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere or on Facebook, please the hashtag FW Podcast. And uh, I guess that's it for now. So thanks for all for listening and uh, raise a glass to the late, great Murphy Anderson. <laughs>